and welcome to Loud Girls in Quiet Rooms, a podcast about current issues in libraries, museums, and archives. I'm Catherine. I'm Courtney. And today we're going to be talking about exhibition labels. Don't stop listening. We promise it's not going to be super boring. <laughs> no, really. Like, we've been talking about this episode for a little while, and we're like, how do we make this interesting? And we're going to do the best we can. Right, because <laughs> labels are kind of boring. They are, and we're going to talk about that yeah. and, like, why we think they're boring. Uh, but first, we should probably talk about why they're important. Yes. So, um, they basically just give information about objects, and they also guide the theme of an exhibition as far as what to consider when thinking about an object or group of objects. Can so, I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. Um, can I just, like, ask you a little to go a little bit more in depth about what you mean by, like, the theme of an exhibition? Like, where do we get the theme of an exhibition? So, by a theme of an exhibition, um, I mean considering what the thesis statement is. So, each exhibition, a good exhibition, should have a thesis statement that's not just, this exhibition is about books. It should be... Like, this exhibition is about bookbinding in this certain area at this time. Right. So your exhibition, no matter what it is, should make sort of an argument as to why those things have been collected. Mm-hmm. And labels can help us sort of identify that theme. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. We're just going to talk about some, like, technical stuff about different types of labels now. Um, so the first type of label is just an introductory text. So that's usually the longest text in an exhibition, or it should be, and it introduces the themes of an exhibition. So it tells you, this is what the show is about, this is what you should look for, this is what ties all of these objects together. It's it's usually that text in, like, art museums that you see just, like, on the wall in those vinyl letters. Mm-hmm right when you walk in Mm -hmm. um or i'm trying to think of another example i'm so i'm so art museum centric (laughs) i feel like that's all i talk about no when when i worked in rare books i remember um every exhibition we did there was like a big poster space Mm -hmm. and we were just like everyone would have to get on chairs because they were all short to pull (laughs) out the poster from the one before and like put in the new one and um yeah it was always like something that described not only what you were going to see, but, like, why the curator or whoever had um, designed the exhibition had kind of chosen those things. Like, Mm -hmm. we did an Edward Abbey exhibit. Um, I remember the text talked a little bit about, like, contextualizing him in um, the American West and also kind of, you know, gave basic background information, like, Mm -hmm. this is who donated these things. Yeah. Uh, There can be a lot of that information, too, depending on how big or how small the museum is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know when I curated my first exhibition, I included all of the biographical info for the artists um, because I felt like that was important to understanding, you know, why we were showing these objects in the museum that we were showing them in because they might have seemed a little random, but because of... You know, it was at, the exhibition was at the Loyola University Museum of Art, and the artist who created these Christmas cards also did the murals in the chapel on campus, and the mosaic that was in Damon Hall before it got moved to the Maywood campus. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So, it, it basically just orients you in, it gives 
if you just go into an exhibition blind, it's like, what am I supposed to look at? It makes me think of that gift from Workaholics where he, like, walks into the library and he's like, what's up with all these books? Yes. Uh, so next, uh, we're going to talk about object labels. There's two different types of object labels. The first is referred to as, like, a tombstone label. <laughs> Creepy. Um, yeah, which is just the very basic info. So the date, location it was created in, the creator or artist, the medium, any any of that stuff. And then there's an extended object label, which is the tombstone information and a description of the object. And uh, the queen of exhibit labels, Beverly Sorrell, says that they should be between 50 and 100 words. So very brief. Because, as we'll talk about later, if they're any longer, people are going to be like, I am not reading that. <laughs> Myself included. Right. Like, I don't come here to read. <laughs> okay, so then what is a section label? So a section label is not usually used in art museums. I don't think I've ever seen them in art museums. Um, they're more frequently used in... Um, like natural history museums or science museums um, to kind of break things up. So just it, the length is between an intro label, which should be about 200 words, okay. and an object label, which, like I said, should be no more than 100 words. And it just breaks down what that specific section is. So there may be themes within a section that you want to address, or like an example that I can think of that I'll talk about later is... Um, at the Field Museum's um, American Native American exhibit, uh -huh. they have section labels, so they kind of address each specific region where all of these people are from and kind of address the themes within that section. Oh, that makes sense. And I guess that kind of makes sense as to why you wouldn't see those as frequently in, like, an art museum mm -hmm. or um, in, like, a library space. Yeah. I mean, I guess you, you do see them in art exhibitions if it's like a really big mm -hmm. exhibition but usually I feel like they're not used as often in art museums all right so now that we've gotten the technical stuff out of the way let's talk about why labels are sometimes boring and sometimes problematic and sometimes both yes boring and problematic oh my god the worst combination everything you could ever want in my opinion Art museums especially can be excessively wordy in their labels and or use words that a lot of people don't understand. They use a lot of technical language, a lot of language that kind of goes over people's heads. And that is really alienating to people who whose first language or second language or third language is not English. And new readers, so that means children and adults, mm -hmm. um people with intellectual disabilities, people whose reading comprehension is below the national average. I mean, you're talking about millions of people. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess, like, that's one of the reasons why some people don't like going to museums um, exactly. or exhibitions, because they think that it's not for them. Mm-hmm. And they should be for everyone. Right. Um, when I was writing my thesis, I was talking to one of my advisors about this because, as I mentioned in, I think, our first episode, I wrote um, about accommodations for people with intellectual disabilities in art museums. 
And one of my arguments was that you should, or one of my things that I suggested was adapting the labels to make the language simpler. Yeah, I think you kind of coined the term um, plain text labels. Was that it? Yeah. I love that. I think that that's, like, really important, not just because it helps people with intellectual disability, but it helps, you know, first-time museum goers, like you said, millions of people. Yeah. Um, But when we were talking about it, she said that um, she's heard artists say in the past, like, well, you know, if people don't get it, they don't get it. And my art isn't meant for, like, everyone. And in that case, it's like, who are you making it for? Yeah. Like, it it should be accessible. And... Yeah, I I feel like my argument with that is just, like, I get, like, the artist's perspective of, you know, my art isn't for everyone. Like, it, it takes a certain amount of comprehension. But, like, don't you want more people to be exposed to it? Like... Yeah. That's the reason why you're not just painting it and then showing it to the one person you think it's for and putting it away. You're putting it in a museum mm-hmm. so people can see it. Exactly. You might as well contextualize it. So uh, the uh, the other thing that we talked about, my advisor and I talked about, was um, feeling like you have to legitimize art as like a, a field. Whereas, you know, people understand that like science is important and history is important but a lot of people think, like, like art is not, like, it's frivolous. Like, oh, my kid could have done that. Or just, like, oh, it's not important. Like, who cares? We don't need more artists. Makes sense. Um, so my thought is, and I don't know if this is accurate, but um, curators and the people who are writing these labels are trying to compensate for that by saying, no, there's a lot of, like, philosophy behind this work. And that's true. But you have to... You have to convey that in words that people understand. Yeah, I totally agree. That's actually really smart. Um, They're trying to elevate the art by elevating the language, and that doesn't necessarily do anyone any favors. Right. I remember talking to a family member, and he said, you know, you're absolutely right. I don't feel comfortable in art museums because I feel like there's something that I don't get, and I... If I don't get it, I don't want to go back. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's that's sad, but true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about how labels can be boring. <laughs> uh, I just think sometimes they're way too long and they're not engaging at all. Uh, they don't ask you to do anything. And I feel like most of the labels I read, I immediately forget the information afterwards. And this is coming from someone who has studied art history, who has an interest in art, who has an interest in museums, and I'm telling you that labels are boring. <laughs> you literally wrote part of your thesis about labels, and you, even you, can't, like, engage with certain ones, I feel Yeah. Like. Yeah, and I think that that's important to remember. Like, even people who are really interested in art are like, okay, this is so boring. So I was reading a book by Nina Simon who is a blogger, and she's also the director of the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History, and she writes a lot about making your museum more engaging, um, in particular in the participatory museum. So she talks about social objects, which is essentially the thought of using objects to create dialogue between visitors. So she advocates for using questions to achieve this in your labels, So it, and the questions shouldn't 
be related to someone's prior knowledge of an art or history object or science object or whatever. And she says, if there's a right answer, it's the wrong question. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's great. It's really cool. So, um, I think that that, when you make personal connections with something. Yeah. You're going to remember it more. This is why I love going to museums with you because every time you're like, <laughs> no, this is true. Um, we'll be standing in front of a painting and I'll be like, I like this one. And you'll be like, why do you think you like it? And I'm like, I don't know. I just like, I really like paintings of ships is something that I told you once, which is completely <laughs> true. And I love paintings of ships. Don't know why, but I'm like, oh, I just like this, you know, makes me nostalgic for the sea. And you're like, all right, cool. And then we'll like go somewhere else and I'll be like, oh, that makes me feel like weirdly uncomfortable and you're like what about it? I'm like I like standing out in my brain are these weird paintings at the art institute <laughs> you know that's that, like really good is like falling apart yes I know exactly which one you're talking oh, about I'll put a link to it in the show notes and just like gross you guys all out but like it's really good to go with someone like you who can ask you those questions like what does it remind you of you know like why mm-hmm. why do you think you're feeling because you know, that's what's important about art is making connections to other things. Exactly. And I guess we have been getting a little art museum centric, Mm -hmm. but I feel like the best labels, I'll talk about the labels at the Jane Addams Whole House Museum Mm -hmm. later, but I think they do a really good job of like making things stand out in your head. And, um, I went with one of our friends a couple weeks ago, who's a teacher and she just finished a unit on Chicago history and they talked about Jane Addams and there was a lot that she was like, Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I, you know, that's really interesting. But it also kind of piqued her, her curiosity. And like, she wanted to learn more. Right. Like so you she wanna... came home and like downloaded a couple of Jane Addams books. Cause she just wanted to know more about her. That's so cool. Like that's exactly what a label should do. Yeah. So we're going to talk about a label that isn't so great. We're going to play a game. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Let's Rewrite That Label. All right. So I'm going to read this terrible label. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not great. It's not the worst of the labels at the Art Museum or the Art Institute. The worst one I wrote about in my thesis, and it's like probably 200 or 250 words long. We are not going to subject you to listening to that. (laughs) Yeah, at least this one's like short, I guess. And so this one is uh, for the painting Woman at Her Toilette by Bertha Morisot. Here's the label. Bertha Morisot showed Woman at Her Toilette in the Fifth Impressionist Exhibition in 1880. It is one of numerous canvases in which she painted well-to-do women dressing and readying themselves to appear in public. The presence of her signature at the lower edge of the mirror suggests a parallel between her between painter and subject, the former creating beauty with colors on canvas and the latter doing the same with a mirror in a mirror with makeup and clothes. See, I couldn't even get through it. Yeah, it's it's not engaging at all. There's kind of complicated syntax in there. Yeah. And it may be confusing to some of the people that we talked about before. There's a lot of words saying essentially the same thing. Yeah. They um, waste a lot of words here. Yeah, one of the things that I noticed when I read through it the first time was, like, that first sentence has, in the fifth Impressionist exhibition, which, like, if you know about art history, you know some things about, like, the Impressionist exhibitions. Mm -hmm. But, like, I read about that, I think, when I was in, like, 10th grade, and I don't really remember what the fifth Impressionist exhibition was all about. Yeah. So, like, there's no context for me there. 
Yeah. Okay. So I rewrote the same label. Let's rewrite that label. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not perfect, but it is better. So um, do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? Do you want to read yours since you rewrote it? Sure. Bertha Morisot, a prominent Impressionist painter, chose to paint higher class women getting dressed for the day in many of her paintings. During this time, women were pressured to present themselves a certain way in society. How does the woman in this painting differ from people in today's world? What pressures and expectations do you face when getting dressed for the day? So I love that. I love that rewrite because... Thank you. (laughs) Of course. One of the things that, like, first hits me about your rewrite is... Well, the first thing is that you kind of, like gave that parenthetical of a prominent Impressionist painter. Because I think a lot of people, they go to the art museum or any museum and they're like, okay, cool, there's Monet, there's Rembrandt, I don't know anyone else, you know? And that's totally fine. You don't need to know every painter. No. Like, okay, now I know that this person was prominent. You were talking about how you don't really remember what the, or you don't know anything about the fifth Impressionist exhibition. Um, That's basically saying that she was prominent during her time. There you go. So the it it simplifies it, it condenses it. I love that you did the open-ended questions because those are important for like, okay, how am I going to connect to this painting? Exactly. And like we said before, you're more likely to remember what a painting looks like if you make a personal connection with it. So when I I mean, I kind of just, like, took a picture of this label last time I went to the Art Institute Mm -hmm. because I wanted to do this for my museum blog. (laughs) Um, And also, I just... It's a a good exercise. It's good to, like, continuously work on your writing skills, your exhibition writing skills. But as I was reading the label, I was rewriting it in my head. And once I got that, like, second question in there, what pressures do you feel... I, like, it was, it just clicked, and I, you know, you were saying when you were looking at the the doc today, you were like, oh, I need to look up to see what this looks like, and I was like, I saw this painting months ago, but I remember exactly what it looks like because I made that connection. Right, because you are thinking about, oh, right, I wanted to think about pressures of getting ready, and there's that woman in my head, like, getting ready in the mirror, mm-hmm. rather than being like, oh, yes, the, the signature on the edge of the mirror really reflects, you know, how the artist felt about... Exactly. What? I don't even remember and... what that label said, and I read it two minutes ago. I mean, there are, like, there are some fun facts that you can include in labels, but, like, really specific facts, I feel like even, like, people aren't going to remember them. The only people who are going to remember them are dorks like me who <laughs> want to, like, pull out facts when they try to impress someone. Yeah, I... Like... Yeah, I just, um... Not to be the library girl who's, like, we have to talk about books, but, um, the descriptive bibliography or, like, the labels that I remember um, from my time as a student assistant on exhibitions were always the ones that, like, had interesting information that, like gave me more context, not just, like, something that was, like, oh, yes, this esoteric idea of, Mm -hmm. like, whatever. (laughs) That was really intelligent. (laughs) No, I, I completely agree. It's, it's trying to figure out what that line is between 
good information and too much information. Um, so I think we should talk about good labels that yes. we've seen because they they are out there. So the first one that I can think of is, sorry to always mention the Field Museum, <laughs> but the Field Museum. Um, when we went, I went with our same, the same friend that I went to, uh, the Whole House Museum with, who's a teacher. We have so many great friends that let us drag them places. <laughs> um, and we were at the Native American exhibit and mm-hmm. she really liked that there were kind of narrative labels within the exhibition. So it was kind of in the point of view of a person from whatever nation that they were talking about in the exhibition. And it was written in a way that was very accessible. And I really liked that. And they also do these labels where it's descending information. So what that is, is they'll start the label. It'll be like a longer label. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll start it with relatively larger font that has just one sentence that sums up the entire label. And then one step down, it's slightly smaller text and they have a little bit more information And then below that, they have even smaller text that has more information. So you can read the first sentence and get exactly what they're trying to talk about. And you can choose how much information you absorb. Um, And then the other place that I think has really good labels, like I said before, is the Jane Addams Whole House Museum. And they also use narrative labels. So on their first floor galleries, um, in the section that kind of talks about the Whole House settlement, community Mm -hmm. in general. They have um, kind of longer vitrines and on either side they have a story about one person. So on one side it's a, I believe she's a Polish Jewish immigrant. And then on the other side it was um, a Mexican immigrant who um, came a little bit, I think he was a little bit later. And on one side it had, you know, the girls like books and her diary or whatever and then on the guy's side it had all of his pottery that he made and it kind of walks you through a day in their life oh that's cool and it's really interesting I think that's a really good way of kind of because that stuff can be it it can get kind of nebulous where you're like I can't really picture how this works in my head yeah and then they have the narrative structure so that they can see, like, how people interacted with one another in this community. That's so cool. Um, this is semi-related, but I think that the museum that, I lear- that I've learned the most at, mm-hmm. or at, at which I've learned the most since I moved here, like, the Museum of Chicago, is the Museum of Science and Industry. Because I love the Museum of Science and Industry. I know, and it's, like, kind of... I went with, like, a group of teenagers um, when I was interning for Chicago Public Library, and the reason why I learned so much is because it's oriented towards children, kind of, mm-hmm. right? Like, would you agree it's with that? It's very hands-on. Okay, yeah. But all of their labels, like, all of the text is really... It's really... Um, it sort of follows the guidelines that we've suggested during this episode like Mm -hmm. it's really interactive it's very like asks you a lot of questions and you know it's like what would it be like if you were on this u-boat during world war ii or you know like Mm -hmm. how do you think electricity comes into your life you know it's more like because it's appealing to children um it kind of gives you more information or like more ability to interact with it exactly Mm -hmm. yeah 
I think that's a really good example. Okay, so what's our takeaway from this episode? If we were to make a label for this episode, <laughs> what would it be? Uh, we know that labels are boring. We're working on making them not boring. And we know that there's a line to walk between providing good information and being engaging. And a lot of us, especially in art museums, are trying to figure that out. So one thing that... I don't know if this is a thing. I I feel like I can't have come up with it on my own. <laughs> but you did. Go for one it. one of my advisors thinks that I did. So I was ta- when I was talking to her um, when I was writing my thesis, I said, you know, it would be great if there was some, like community label writing initiative, Mm -hmm. meaning get museum visitors to come in to the museum and rework one of the labels to try to figure out, okay, what do people think is interesting? What, um, what do people want to see from our labels? Or, you know, the, no, I really like that. I, I think you did come up with it because I've never heard it before. So we're just going to say on this podcast today, Courtney Sass invented this. But no, I really like that because I think it would be cool to like get some people to be like, okay, what do you think about this painting? What do you want to know more about? Mm -hmm. Like what, what like questions do you have that you want answered? What questions would you ask someone if you just wanted to know more about how they felt about the painting? That would be so cool. Yeah. I think the more input you can get from the community, the better. Because that's who your museum is for. It's for the community. So you want to kind of serve their interests and also be educational, but also make them feel like they're part of the museum, you know, and not just like passive observers. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Really active engagement with your exhibition. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to do it. All right. Well... I think we've accomplished something great here. Not only did you, you know, (laughs) immortalize um, your community label writing initiative, but we've also, you know, talked a lot about labels. labels, And I don't think it was that boring. I don't know. We'll have to wait for some feedback. Yes. Um, Where can they find us if they want to give us feedback about whether or not this was boring? (laughs) You can find us at iTunes where we're Loud Girls in Quiet Rooms. We'd love it if you subscribed and rated and reviewed. And you can also find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash LGQRpod. We're going to be putting out episodes every other Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, by subscribing, it's a good way of being automatically updated. Always knowing. Yeah. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter at LGQRpod. And email us at lgqrpod at gmail.com with any questions or comments or if you'd like to be a guest. So that about does it for us. I'm Courtney. And I'm Catherine. And thanks for listening.